This is why we have the best fans in the world. discussion because we ended up talking for like four and a half hours which was incredible and I think definitely needed because we just we got so so much information um and like learned so many new things thanks to Sasha and also just like it was a good time talking about the whole movie so like going into this 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 episode is going to end before we finish talking about the end of the movie um but the next episode which is the second half of the movie is going to be up like in a couple days so that's when that's going to carry on so yeah this ends before the movie ends but the next episode will be the continuation of that so please enjoy the first half of the movie welcome to talk direction your weekly one direction in harry styles podcast i'm caitlin and i'm kara and i'm sasha and this is our 106th episode of Talk Direction. And as you will have noticed, we have a special guest on the podcast today. I am so excited about this. Honestly, I feel like we've been planning this for so long. And like, Karen <laughs> and I have been talking about this for so long. And it has finally come to fruition. So we want to welcome Sasha onto the podcast. Welcome, Sasha. Thank you so much for being here. No problem. Hi. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Sasha's hailing from England right you're over there right now yeah I'm just outside of Manchester oh nice and we're we're skyping across the ocean so this is cool and hopefully <laughs> hopefully it all goes well um many of you guys know Sasha I'm sure like most of you follow her on Twitter um she runs the at styles movie note news Twitter account um and she has been doing all of the Dunkirk research and promotion and pretty much like the person that sort of like inspired the whole fandom with Dunkirk. I feel mm -hmm. like you just <laughs> brought so much to the fandom. It's been incredible. Thank you. Um, so obviously we're going to be talking about Dunkirk this episode and Sasha has just an immense knowledge about like the history <laughs> of Dunkirk plus like the whole movie like entire movie of it. So um, that's pretty much what's going to be happening today. We're going to be going through the entire movie um, figuring out what we thought of it. Like last episode that you guys will have heard, we did um, sort of our sort of initial spoiler free thoughts, but this is going to be a very spoiler episode and we're going to be going through everything about it. So I am excited because this will be very in-depth. Um, uh, what do I have here? We, we wanted to do some Audible recommendations um, before we get started. Um, if you go to audibletrial.com slash talkdirection, you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. Um, and they have tons and tons of books over there. Last episode, I recommended Cuckoo's Calling, which is the J.K. Rowling mystery novel series. Um, Kara recommended Wind in the Willows. And I was wondering if either of you guys had any new recommendations. Kara, do you have any recommendations this week? Um, uh, maybe The Bean Trees by oh, Barbara Kingsolver. It's always a good book. It's like... It's, um, I mean, I'm not going to get into it, but just look it up if you want a good, <laughs> a good read and like about found family and there's some political issues in there. Um, and it's great. Very good. And 
Uh, Sasha, do you have any books that you've read? I could be Dunkirk, could not be Dunkirk related. <laughs> I decided to stay on topic, but I've got to be honest, I've not listened to it yet. But um, there's Dunkirk, the history behind the major motion picture by Joshua Levine. Oh, that's wow. been made into an audio book. So that's available on Audible at the moment. Oh, my God, that's amazing. That's I, awesome. I've seen that book and I didn't realize they had it on Audible. That's awesome. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I think he I reads it audio. himself, Joshua Levine. And I think there might even be the interview part as well. I think there's a, a part with Christopher Nolan as well. But I've not oh, listened really to cool. it just yet. So I really want to listen. That's so cool. I love when they like actually incorporate like with the interview getting like Christopher Nolan on. That That is really awesome. That's like the benefit of having an audio yeah. book rather than reading yeah. it. Because you don't get that same like personal... Yeah. To it. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think there is. <laughs> I'm sure I, I'll find out. I'm gonna... I, know there, I know there are on other ones. Like uh, when I read, like I think it was Min either Mindy Kaling's or someone else's, they'll have sometimes people write like one chapter in their book and they get that other person to read it. So very cool. So again, that's audibletrial.com slash talk direction. Um, I'm excited now to, to read that. That's yeah. Um, so let's see. Also, we wanted to mention our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash talk direction. And Patreon is a monthly subscription where you guys get extra bonus content from us. Every single episode, you get uh, talk direction download, which is an extra half hour of content. Plus, we do tons of videos over there. Um, you can leave us a voicemail and we'll play it on the show. You can, um, even be on the show depending on the different levels so if you want to hear about that stuff head over to patreon.com slash talk direction last episode we discussed louis article with dan wooten dan whatever the hell his name is um about <laughs> the the one that was about shipping and the hiatus and how it came to be and his solo stuff um and this next week we're going to be talking about or this episode for this week we're going to be talking about the different um Images the boys are presenting themselves as solo artists, including like the font and the little what are they, what are those called, Kara? Um, not icons. What are those called? Logos. Logos. Yeah, they're logos. Like how Niall has music notes incorporated incorporated into his, and we're gonna be comparing them because um, we haven't really talked about that. And I think it's so interesting. And I love a good font, so. <laughs> yeah, a good font is always a good time. Um, so that's again patreon.com slash talk direction. So moving on into the episode, um, we wanted to get sort of a One Direction profile on Sasha before we begin to talk about Dunkirk. But every time we have a guest on, it's good to get like sort of a feel for them, what they like, what their favorite songs are, who their favorite members are. Um, and why they're in the One Direction fandom. So let's start with that. When did you get into the One Direction fandom and like what pulled you in? Okay, I was quite late to it. And admittedly, I kind of, I didn't want to be a fan of One Direction because <laughs> I hated the X Factor when, when I was younger. Like I, I have always hated Simon Cowell. I, don't even ask me why. I've just never <laughs> liked him. And so when One Direction came out, I was always so kind of like, Take, not taking the mickey but I was like I really don't like them like but I it wasn't you know even now when I listen to what makes you beautiful it takes me back to being like oh my god annoying boy band sort of thing. <laughs> but like I became a fan probably in about 2013 um and part of the reason was actually like over the years they worked with a band called McFly and mm. I've yeah. always been a huge fan of McFly and I followed them for like I think there are, it's been 13 years now um, wow. And obviously they were doing a lot of songwriting with the lads and they were 
the songwriting with Niall in particular. And I, I think it was specifically when they were kind of recording Don't Forget Where You Belong with, with uh, McFly and kind of when that kind of friendship was there, I kind of found myself, I couldn't get away from One Direction because they kept coming <laughs> into my, you know. And yeah. um, I just remember I'd somehow in 2013, I don't know when about, I started kind of, my friends picked up that I was talking about One Direction a lot. And <laughs> I, I can't even like, there's, I've actually got my ticket for when I saw This Is Us pinned up for some reason. And that was oh. on, that was the 3rd of October. 2013 but I was already a fan before that so it's some mm-hmm. it's somewhere around then um, you fell into the sinkhole that summer yeah. or something <laughs> <laughs> and I remember because like I booked tickets then for the where we are tour uh, uh, yeah but even so like just it sounds weird like even though I was sort of counting myself as a sort of fan when I went to see them in, in 2014 and at that on, I think it was like the 30th of May I didn't actually know the album that well. Mm. <laughs> so even so, I say like I wouldn't say I was like a proper fan until like after that. So yeah, I was a bit of a latecomer. Um, but well, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's awesome. I've, we've not, well, I haven't heard someone who got into them from McFly yet, so that's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And that song is so great too. Oh, uh, so good. What and a then like song to the boys were just always on. together then because obviously McFly teamed up with Busted to be, become Busted, mm. and then they ended yeah. up supporting One Direction on on yeah, their tour oh, yeah, right. And in the end, um, I saw them in Cardiff. Um, when I went to see One Direction and it, it got they announced that McBusted was supporting and I was like this is so weird I have seen <laughs> McFly support One Direction like what is going on this is like my that life so it felt like a kind of handing over ceremony where like I <laughs> was just like you are now Passing allowed to write torch. One Direction <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, wow that's awesome yeah um so the next question we have is what is your favorite 1D song so the reason I, I've chosen Olivia and the reason yes. why Olivia is my favorite, it goes back to McFly again. This is so bad. <laughs> um, I had this song called Little Joanna that I used to love because it was really fun and everything. Um, and for some reason, Olivia reminds me of Little Joanna and they're both like really fun and kind of very poppy, but kind of, and, and also I love how, Olivia has also got that connection to kind of you know people say it sounds a bit like pure imagination mm-hmm. from, yeah. from Willy Wonka and yeah. I grew up watching that film and I don't know it just takes me to a place where I'm just happy and um yeah. I just love that line where I like to say where it says you live in my imagination and mm-hmm. I don't know well, it's you're just... in good company Olivia's my favorite One Direction song too oh good <laughs> yep yep I I love it we'll Absolutely. have to check out little Joanna now Johanna what, what was it I just little, little Joanna yeah, I, yeah. Wrote, I don't jo- know if I spelled it right but I'm sure I'll be able to find it I wrote it down in the doc <laughs> okay awesome yeah yeah I Olivia's the best One Direction song in my mind <laughs> I'll tell you well with little Joanna um it took eight years for McFly to play that live for the first oh time oh my god really so I was there when they played it and I was like, you can imagine I would waited that much time. So the wow. fact that they have one day have never performed Olivia, I mean, whether oh they'll, you know, I'm just saying I waited eight Hopefully years. Hopefully it's not time. eight years again. <laughs> it probably will be at least eight years. Yeah, so buckle in for this wait, y'all. <laughs> I just want to hear it with like a full orchestra and everything. It would be yes. amazing. Oh, I hope Harry plays it on tour. I really I mean, I do. do. I really do. If, if I could ask for anything, it would be... I know. Be- 
perform that song. Screw what's it called? Stockholm Syndrome. Bring us back Olivia. Like, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, what is your favorite 1D memory? It could be fandom, a concert, something that the boys did, a friendship that you made in the fandom, anything like that. Um, my favorite uh, memory is I went to, I basically saw quite a lot of the shows on the Ultra Tour, like, and mm-hmm. I went to, um, I went to Newcastle for free shows up there, and I, I bought the tickets quite late, and they were just like single tickets that were left, that were on the mm-hmm. floor, so I, I went on my own, and um, on the first show, I, the guide on on the website said that my ticket was basically at the end of the row, um, mm-hmm. in the kind of in in the middle of the floor, but like on the very end next to where like the side tier was. Mm-hmm. So I had no expectations or anything, and I turned up, and the seating was like the numbers were all out of sync, as as weird as that sounds. And oh. all of a sudden, I found myself like literally the seat next to the B stage, and oh I was like. I was having a heart attack I was like no oh my god what is going on and yeah like I spent the whole con- I mean they spent most of the concert coming down to the B stage oh and my gosh. Wow. I, had, I had Harry right in front of me like ah! waiting and everything I couldn't honestly it was like the, stri- the fact that I wasn't expecting it was what yeah yeah you didn't have like time to like mentally prepare yourself you just got no. hit in the face oh exactly. my god so- it was really, really strange, but it was like honestly one of the best days. Probably like my favorite concert moment, just because I've never been so close to an act before while mm-hmm. performing. So yeah, it was it was amazing. Wow, that sounds awesome. I remember when we went. Was it our? I guess like both concerts, we ended up closer than we thought we were. Yeah. Because the first time we went, um, we switched tickets at the last minute and ended up getting floor seats. So that was really special. And then the second time. I didn't think we were going to be that close, but then we were in an area where Harry kept coming back towards, like, yeah. so we ended up being really close to him. So those, like, last-minute kind of surprises make it so exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. Um, what are you thinking about the boys going solo so far? Are you, I mean, you've talked about Harry a lot. Is he sort of your favorite, or are you just, like, liking all the solo music? Um, It's a bit hit and miss for me. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think they're all doing really well. And I'm really happy that they're kind of going on off in their, pardon the pun, their separate directions <laughs> like, and doing what they want to do. But I mean, obviously, Harry's more my style of music anyway. Mm-hmm. So I was really pleased with like the music that he's chosen. I'm really, really loving Louis' music. Yes. And I didn't think I would. I really love Back to You. And Just Hold On was like really lovely. And like the timing, obviously, with, with his mum and everything was really sad. But it, it was just a, a brilliant a couple of songs that he's done so far um yeah. I, I, I'm surprised myself I mean I know this is going way back but with Zane like I've, I've really enjoyed his music since mm-hmm. he left band mm-hmm. um even though it's not really my cup of tea usually and um with with the other two I mean I really thought I was gonna love Niall's music but I'm not feeling it so far mm-hmm. I love On the Loose I've seen the video of that and I think yeah. like that would be a great song but I don't know. Slow hands makes me cringe. Um, really? And, yeah. And, and this town, I just couldn't get into. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm actually really not disappointed in him, but disappointed in myself because I was like, I really, if of all of them, like Niall was the reason I got into One D because of Viam McFly. Oh, yeah. So I was like, Niall's going to be the safe one. Like he's going to be yeah. the one I'm really going to like. And so far, I just and then he let you down. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I like it. You know. So, um, yeah. and then with Liam. You have an album. You have an album. 
know, <laughs> when maybe you'll like some of the songs. <laughs> maybe. Well, that's to say that On the Loose sounds good, so. Yeah, um, we just need the studio, studio version now. Version? Yeah, exactly. Um, but with Liam, I, I wasn't a fan of Strip That Down. It's not, like, my kind of song. But yeah. I was listening to Get Low earlier, and it is, like, a tune, so. Yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, whether I like the songs or not, they're all doing really well. And yeah, I are. actually think that this hiatus, and or whatever you want to call it, has actually done them really well because they've all found themselves and they've, they're all kind of going their own way. Well, it's they're developing, you can tell, like they're becoming mm-hmm. themselves. So it, I think it's brilliant what they're doing. Yeah, I totally agree. And, mm-hmm. and we get so much stuff and get to see like who they are, whether or not we like it. Um, <laughs> I mean, Karen, <laughs> Karen, I agree that like, like <laughs> Liam hasn't been our, our favorite so far in the break. I think Get Low was better than Strip That Down. Um, and like obviously we have another al- a whole album to come so like we can find ones that we like because we were we also say like leading up to made in the am when they put out infinity and perfect neither of us really liked those ones but then yeah. like we went on to love the album so sometimes like the first songs that they put out just like won't be what you like and then actually that's a good point some of the songs. it's a really good point because it's like i with I, d- I don't think they ever really chose the best songs for their singles yeah, oh my God, in, the, so in, in the later years. So, like, yeah. you know, I wasn't a massive fan of Still My Girl, but mm-hmm. actually the rest of the album was pretty amazing. So, my yeah. life's a good point. I'll, yeah. It might be the same with Niall. Maybe I'll love yeah. the album. Because, like, he's got... Yeah, I, I, I wasn't that excited about This Town either. I do like Slow Hands a lot, though. Um, but yeah. you know we don't know we I feel like there's gonna be a range like if you look at Harry's album there's definitely a range of songs oh yeah um, definitely. like song styles and stuff um okay what is the next question I have I guess that's kind of all of them we, we talked about the solo stuff um I guess what's your favorite solo song so far um I've I've chosen um because I obviously Harry's album is my favorite but I yeah. love um from the dining table Mm-hmm. and I think it's because it was so unexpected mm-hmm, and yeah. it's probably like one of the most mature songs on the album and mm-hmm. I could listen to it on repeat for hours and the part where it kind of builds up in, in the yeah. middle oh it's just like that is the best best like now did that part remind you of Somewhere <laughs> Over the Rainbow because to me I totally heard Somewhere Over the Rainbow and I've heard people say that Oh, but, I like, know. I haven't heard that many people It reminds it. me of something, but I thought it was edging more towards, like, a Beatles song. Um, okay. But, I mean, I thought that about a few songs, because I remember I was making comparisons um, to Blackbird by the Beatles mm. with Sweet Creature mm-hmm. and, and stuff. But, yeah, there's definitely, like, a, it goes a bit Beatles-esque to me, but, like, I love, I just love that song. I could listen to it for forevermore for the rest of my life and not get bored. <laughs> it so, is really, really beautiful. Yeah. Um, Harry's whole album is just amazing. We, like, we're big Harry fans. Uh, if you listen to a couple episodes, I mean, not recently, because we've been so into Louis' new music, but, like, <laughs> we, we are big, big Harry fans. <laughs> our faves, um, which is why we changed our name to One Direction in Harry Styles podcast, because we're like, oh my god, we're going to talk so much about Harry, we should probably be upfront about it. I mean, he always um, keeps us busy anyway, doesn't he? He really, really does. So. <laughs> Um, you are getting good company with that. Um, so I wanted to talk sort of about your Twitter account and how you like decided to like start researching Dunkirk and like wanted to do this whole Twitter thing because like you created it quite early, right? Yeah, I started it in April 2016. So I mean, his 
Harry's role in the film was confirmed in March. But even though even though these like big, I think it was places like Deadline and that were, were all announcing it, I don't think the fandom believed it. <laughs> like it, it took a very long time for people to believe that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think literally the people were waiting for him to just show up on set and they still weren't like going to believe it until that happened. But um, yeah. I, I just, it was half term over here because I work in a primary school. So mm-hmm. we were off for two weeks and I get, I often get a bit bored because my friends are all working still. Right. Like they, they don't get the time off that I get off. Um, <laughs> so I was like, just thinking about stuff and I was just looking up usernames on Twitter and I was like, wow, Styles Movie News is available. And that's where it came from. I just made this account and mm-hmm. didn't really think much of it. Just kind of thought I can make an account and follow the movie as it goes along. Right. And then like within a month, I had like 10,000 followers. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wow. This is, this is crazy, you know? That that really is insane. Like we've been a podcast for two years and our Twitter following is quite small compared to like the listenership that we have. I don't yeah. know how, like... It is amazing how fast, like, the fandom can get on board with something like that, especially when you were putting out such, like, interesting content, too. Yeah, I think because, like, um, with the history stuff that I put on and everything, um, because obviously we didn't have much to work from in the first month because they hadn't started filming yet. So the first thing that I did was, like, try and find out what Dunkirk was about, hence... Mm -hmm doing research about it and then also I had a lot of like local residents in in Dunkirk who were posting pictures of the set starting to be built and everything and Mm -hmm. that was basically what the first month was but I think people was just intrigued and they just kind of jumped on it because no one else was doing it Mm -hmm. so it just kind of became the place for Dunkirk info and it happened so quickly that I didn't even have time to think. <laughs> and you were like, oh, now I'm the, like, the fandom news for all <laughs> things Dunkirk. This is my new role. It was funny, actually, because, like, when I started it, the first thought I had was, like, at the time, I used to have a Thursday off at work. So mm-hmm. I'd always have a day off, an extra day off a week. And I always had loads of spare time. And I was like, right, OK, I might as well, you know, it's, it's a bit of fun, something to do as a hobby. And then literally, like, the week that I started my account, like, a week later, they offered me extra hours at work. So, <laughs> like, so I didn't actually have any spare time. But it's just, ever since, it's just, like, become my part of my life. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, yeah. It's, it's funny how things, you start prioritize them and prioritizing them, and it's just, like, another part of what you do. And it exactly. just, like, becomes part of the routine. <laughs> Um, so what type of research did you do? Like, as you went, you did you get more and more inspired to, like, look into things? I know on your account I've seen so much of it, and you put so much work into it and finding, like, firsthand accounts, and I know you had old photographs and all that type of stuff. So what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, like, the, the pinned tweet that I have on my account, which is, like, the, the history summary of, of what happened in Dunkirk, um, I, I kind of, it was weird. I set myself, like, a target, so I was like... I think it was a Monday and I was like, right, okay, by eight o'clock tonight, I'm going to post a summary. And then I was like, right, what am I going to do in that time? I had like about six, seven hours or something to research it and write it up. Uh And so I I sat and watched the BBC documentary about Dunkirk, Mm. which was like a free parter. So that was three hours long. And then after doing that, I was reading different articles from like the BBC and, and all sorts. And just putting together all the information. I, I made notes while I was watching the documentary. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and and literally I wrote it like it was as if it was homework or like some mm-hmm. kind of essay. <laughs> and I like I didn't think it'd get retweeted like one thousand mm-hmm. five hundred times. Um, so that was like the start. So after having watched that documentary and um, read that information, I had a basic idea of what Dunkirk was about. And from then on, it was like any documentary I saw on TV, I started buying books, started reading all different books. Um, so yeah, it just kind of built from there. And then it was little things like I've, um, my neighbour, like I've mentioned my neighbour quite a lot. Um, I've never actually spoken to him about it, but just by accident, I found out that he was a Dunkirk veteran while I was doing research. Wow. I, like, I just, his name came up and I was like, that's my neighbor. Oh like, my what? gosh. Oh, <laughs> wow. Weird. And I'm not even kidding. He literally is, is in the house opposite mine. Like with, oh, with wow. I'm not talking about like down the street. And right. um, That's insane. Yeah. And I found a video of him talking about his experience and it's just little things like that, that, and I shared that as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of, everything interests me now. So if I find something new, it's like, oh, that's quite cool. And I'll watch mm-hmm. that and I'll read that, you know. So, yeah. That's awesome. And I, I, loved, I loved how we could see as you posted those things, everyone getting so interested in it. And you, you did it in such a way that was like, it made it so accessible to people by writing those sort of summaries and like, yeah. explaining things in a way that was reaching so many people. I remember one, one of the first things that I shared as well was um, while I was doing like the research, I found out that there was a soldier called George Stiles who was... Oh my God, yeah, was, I remember that. Yeah, he was on the memorial in, in Dunkirk. And then I asked, like I went onto a World War II forum and asked people if they could help me research what who he was. And then mm-hmm. I posted like a little thing about him, didn't I, about how, like who he was and like how he was involved and I, I just thought it was like quite a cool way of making people interested because mm. although he won't necessarily be related to Harry it was quite an interesting thing to see that there was a real style soldier who was yeah. in Dunkirk. That, that is really interesting and to have all those ways to get people interested into it because like yeah I'm gonna be more interested if the person's name is Styles. like that's cool. <laughs> And that's such a good way to, like, memorialize people, you know, and, like, keep their memory alive. Like, that's just really incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, this random guy who obviously hadn't had any kids or anything. Yeah. There didn't seem to be any kind of, like, memory of him, anyone mm. who were kind of remembering him. So it was quite cool to kind of, like, bring his story to people and mm-hmm. yeah. say that this guy is just one of many who existed and went through that and, mm. and suddenly yeah. passed away while he was there. So... That, it, it has been such a good way to remember history as well and, and learn about the lives of people. Um, so what, what do you think, like, in terms of that, in terms of you, like, you know, sort of being at the front of the fandom and Dunkirk and that type of stuff, when people say things like, oh, all of these fans just care about Harry. I, know, I'm, I mean, I know you've seen the interview where the lady was like, oh, people are saying, who is Dunkirk, or whatever that Oh, was. yeah. <sighs> what is your reaction to that type of thing? It's just really frustrating, and I'm, I've mm-hmm. spoken about this a lot, because I think, I, I don't know if she was referring to an article that had happened before her, and I think it was, mm-hmm. like, one of the places that posted it was the Metro newspaper, and um, they were talking about, look at all these clueless Harry Styles fans, and all they had mm-hmm. done is go on Twitter and purposely searched for, like, four or five naive young fans yeah. who didn't have a clue out of the out of like hundreds who do you know yeah um and 
purposely tried to humiliate them because it didn't even like cut out the names it just posted the actual tweets and was like an article like Harry Styles fans ask who is Dunkirk all they've literally done is like search specifically who is Dunkirk and families Mm. you know it's just like and the other thing is though which I've mentioned quite a lot in the past is like not everyone learned about Dunkirk so Mm -hmm. the fact that they're picking on one direction or Harry Styles fans and saying we're the clueless ones. Um, if right. you actually look at the reaction to the first trailer that came out for Dunkirk and you read, you watch the videos of like American critics and that talking about it, a lot of them didn't know the story of Dunkirk and the trailer didn't tell them what the story was. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. To, to say that it was just like Harry Styles fans, it was actually a lot of them were saying they didn't like the trailer because they didn't get what it was all about. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's so true. So, so why why is it just you know us? It's obviously mm-hmm. as a whole it hasn't been a historical topic at, at schools across the world. So obviously people are not going to know what Dunkirk was. Yeah, um, and I think like Kara and I never learned it in our school. Yeah, we didn't learn about that. And yeah. from what I've heard, like at least from the cast, they learn about it a little bit, but not too much in depth. Is that what your experience was in school? I don't remember learning about it at all at school. But I mean, I think I went to a pretty rubbish school. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, um, I don't remember. I think someone else actually said the same thing, which is that the only thing I remember learning about World War II at school was um, how children were evacuated to the countryside. Mm. I don't remember learning anything about how the war actually happened and mm. our involvement with it and I mean I didn't take history past um when I was in year nine like mm-hmm. you, you you get um you get what you pick your options basically and I didn't pick history because I didn't like my history teacher mm-hmm. so right. I never did any history past that but in in my first like early years of, of high school I I don't believe we covered Dunkirk at all mm-hmm. so it was the only reason I knew about it was because I love the film Atonement. And, oh, right, yeah. And obviously Dunkirk is featured in that. But, yeah, away from that, I was clueless. And I was I didn't find out about it until I started researching it properly. So, and, you know. And the I, silly thing is with those interviewers, it was probably the One Direction fans that knew a heck of a lot more than anyone else. <laughs> because yeah. going into it, we, we had you know, studied up on a lot of things when maybe perhaps the, at least the American ones didn't really know about Dunkirk. So then having them say things about like young fans not knowing things when, you know, besides the couple of people that they found, a lot of the fans knew most and more than them from the research. Because I was asked about it when um, I I was interviewed on that, the Hollywood Reporter article. Mm -hmm. And that was the one thing I said that ironically... Harry Styles fans probably know more about Dunkirk than your usual moviegoer because we're -hmm. we're dedicated enough to actually do our research so (laughs) (laughs) think again if you're gonna say that we're uneducated or silly or don't know things (laughs) how do you think just sort of generally I mean fandom in general gets a lot of a bad rap and especially like if it's a lot of young girls you know, people are saying that, you know, they're sort of living in fantasy world, world, silly, not like, not with it. How do you kind of, how do we move forward about that? Have you experienced that? I guess running a One Direction account? Have you had like that sort of people judging you for what you're interested in? Um, 
I mean, like on, online, obviously, I've had some kind of like Nolan fans or movie fans who would mm. be like, oh, she just wants to look at Harry Styles, you know. And But I think for the most part, the kind of interactions I've had with other people is is kind of they've always been surprised. And I, I don't feel like they should be surprised, but they're like, wow, there's actually an account that she does know the history and she is mm-hmm. interested in other characters in there. And, you know, but they I think we're always going to be met by that kind of criticism blindly, which is is ridiculous. But you kind of, having been a fan of like boy bands for 13 years now, you know, I'm kind of used to it. And I kind of, I feel like you just, it just passes you by in the end and you Mm -hmm. just don't think about it. And I know that's wrong because you kind of want people to change their opinion and and not think of us as, as being like naive, you know. Yeah. But it's one of those things that you just end up just getting used to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. I love that we have your, your Twitter account. I feel like we've also banned it as a fandom and being like, no, look at this. Look what we have here. Like, yeah. <laughs> we are like One Direction fans. And there's this huge account that has taught so many people all about Dunkirk and about history. And like, we're multifaceted and we can be interested in Harry Styles and also interested in like Christopher Nolan's like cinematography, you know, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that that's this has inspired that so thank you for for being that one <laughs> um and then I wanted to talk about also the charity money you raised you you did a was it a couple different charities you raised money for yeah the first one was the Skylark uh, Skylark 9 trust uh, recovery trust sorry and um it was for the Dunkirk little ship Skylark and basically <clears throat> I found their Twitter account like randomly and it I honestly came up with the idea about sort of three o'clock in the morning and I, <laughs> I suddenly like thought you know what would be really cool so I, I woke myself up and like emailed the lady called Mary from the Dunkirk Trust uh, sorry the Skylark Trust and was like I've got this really good idea um I'd really like to help you out you know what can we do where would the money go to <clears throat> and yeah basically the whole idea was just to kind of support because um, they, they're going to restore restore Skylark because she sank in a Scottish river like mm-hmm. um, I think she sank five years ago and they managed to get her out after a couple of years and the if she doesn't if the ship isn't saved then it's just going to be destroyed basically mm. <clears throat> and so um, we, we plan to raise five thousand pounds which would basically just give them a bit of life you know that it'll be able to keep the promoting it keep keep up the campaign um and we ended up raising six thousand pounds because it just kind of picked up speed so quickly and and like within about an hour of it launching um and found out about it harry's mum and she was she kept tweeting about it and i managed i managed to get quite a lot of the update accounts involved and they were really helpful and yeah it just became this thing and it was really cool and that it, it's it, sorry go on I was going to say that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> but like it, the, the good thing is that since that um the money that we raised helped them to apply for a heritage grant so basically they've now um been accepted to receive the full funds <clears throat> wow. which would be allowed to restore it um but they have to still do some fundraising so they're still trying to do some themselves at the moment but so if, where can people go if they want to donate to them? <laughs> it was the Skylark um, Recovery Trust website. Sorry, I don't have it on hand. 
That's okay. No, I'm sure people can Google it. So that's awesome. So that's so cool. So really, like that whole thing helped them get the the documents so that they can then get the money. That is really really cool. And it's also like the whole point was to kind of promote what the Dunkirk little ship was. So I don't know if people really knew like what it was all about with Dunkirk until I was trying to explain like what these ships did and mm-hmm. and why Dunkirk was this amazing story that it was. Um, and yeah, so like later on, so for Harry's birthday, um, we did a I did a fundraiser for the um, Royal National Lifeboat Institution, which is mm-hmm. a massive charity over here. Um, basically, they're a lifeboat charity, so they they save lives at sea every single day across oh, wow. the whole of the UK and Ireland Jeez. and um but they're not funded by the government um they're, they're an emergency service but they're not they're just like they're run by volunteers and wow. so th- we raised um what was it eleven thousand four hundred dollars for them wow. over the space of three months and that's incredible yeah and they're like amazing charity and I got to go and visit um one of the teams in Blackpool and they showed me like the lifeboats that they use and the, I met all of the team and they all literally they just have these pages and they go into work or school or whatever as usual and if it's sounding they leave work immediately and they'll go straight to the lifeboat station go straight out to wow. within oh like gosh. five minutes and they'll go out and save lives and they it can be in the middle of the night so it could be like four o'clock in the morning and their pager will go off and they'll go running out of the house in whatever they can I know and they, they are amazing they're not paid for it like I say complete volunteers wow wow That's wow really so um the money we raised was to basically the, the sum of um raising money for some of the um what you call it the the jackets and everything the boots everything that they needed to wear the helmets um I think we've raised enough for it was either six or seven uh, new volunteers costumes wow which was really cool and obviously two weeks after it happened um, and we, we reached a total, Harry went out and was papped wearing the RNLI uh, beanie hat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right, which, right, right. Which was amazing. And I still want to know where he got it from because right, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't their current range. It was an, mm-hmm. an old hat. So Harry would get a vintage. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, he's, I mean, he's not been seen wearing it since, but it was pretty cool. Um, I wish the photos were better. They were, like, quite mm, distant. Yeah. It took us a couple of days to realise that he was wearing an RNLI hat. But <laughs> And then so cool. he's just spoken about them as well, hasn't he, in an interview yeah. with, with um, oh, what was it, Sirius FM? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or something like that. And he mentioned both Sky... Well, the, the interviewer mentioned Skylark and the RNLI and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really cool to hear him speaking about it and sort of saying that he thought it was incredible. So, yeah, that that must feel so good, honestly. Like Mm -hmm. the fact that you were able to get that all to get together and then also for Harry to acknowledge it is just so cool. And Anne, of course, too, because Anne's amazing. Yeah, and it was really cool. And I think like I know this isn't um, wasn't the point at the time, but back to Skylark. Someone donated their membership because, like, basically there was um, if you paid a hundred pounds donation to them, you could get your name written on the plaque when it's going to be restored. Oh, and, cool. And um, we already organised that Harry's name would be put on there. Um, right. 
but someone donated their membership to Anne so she so that Anne's oh, name wow. could be added but then she Aww. she then paid a hundred pounds herself and she got Robin's name put on there oh. and obviously oh. we didn't know the situation at the time but now it's going right. to be quite a nice little kind of dedication to him yeah oh wow that's, sure. that's going to be on the ship when it's restored so um I thought that was like really nice that she chose wow. to do that that's so that beautiful really oh. yeah I love their family their entire family is so beautiful and, um, and Anne was just lovely so yeah that honestly like props to you and it shows like again it shows the that the fandom does so much more than what people think they do you know yeah um and like how it gets so personal it's not just kind of this blur like you went and out and met the people and like yeah. saw what they actually did and like it's about connecting with people yeah um and it was, i think as well like the other side of the skylark one was um and joined up with um with them to do an art competition and mm. everyone was sending in dunkirk related art which they had oh, done wow. and and like they could win prizes from that and it, I thought that was really cool and Anne was like the judge of what the, the winners were oh um, so cool so it's just another side to it that kind of mm -hmm. it kept us busy <laughs> yeah it definitely did um that's amazing thank you for all that you've done honestly you've been you've made this entire lead up to the movie really exciting <laughs> on top of all the historical stuff just also finding out about like the cast and the behind the scenes and you know learning about all the different people in the movie as well was really really cool in the lead yeah. up to it i honestly loved every minute of it as well like everything that i've been involved with within my twitter account i've never done it because i've been sat there like oh i have to do this mm -hmm. it's right. been so fun like learning everything about it yeah that definitely comes through for sure on your twitter account mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so let's actually talk about the movie. <laughs> um, I think we've waited long enough for this moment. Again, I'm giving a spoiler warning. We will be talking about the plot. I guess the one before wasn't super plot related. Yeah, I guess not. Okay. <laughs> we, could, we could also cut that bit out. <laughs> um, but we are definitely talking about the plot now. Um, so get ready for that. Skip ahead. Don't listen to the rest of the episode if you don't want to hear everything that happens. Um, so what what do I have here? I, I, I'm... First of all, Sasha, you need to jump in anytime you know something that we don't know because I feel like you know so much about the actors and like their backgrounds and like just Dunkirk in general. So definitely jump in and provide all your wondrous insight. Um, I wanted to like sort of first off, how many times have we each seen the movie? I know Kara and I went once together and Kara, you haven't seen it again, right? You've only seen it the one time? Yeah, I've only seen it once. I want to see it again, but I might wait until it comes out on DVD just because it's so expensive to, to, yeah. to see it in IMAX. It's $20 here. So yeah. And then I've seen it. I saw it the one time with Kara, and then I saw it by myself the other day. I went to the Early Bird special, which it ended up only being like $6. Oh, wow. So that was really nice. And it wasn't on the IMAX. It was like yeah. a regular showing. But I took like my notepad and pen and ended up taking like 24 pages of notes. <laughs> I felt <laughs> like I was like a news journalist sitting there like surrounded by people like taking my little notes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, and Sasha, I know you've seen it a lot of times, right? I've seen it four times. Oh, wow. I, I am planning to see it more. I mean, I've seen it twice. Um, on the first day it came out, I saw it twice in the IMAX. Because it's mm -hmm. in Manchester, luckily, we've got the proper 70mm IMAX. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the second biggest in the country. Oh, um, 
so I, I went with like two friends who I've met through my account and oh, um I so we went like to the first showing that was 10 o'clock in the morning and then we went again at like three o'clock so I had some lunch <laughs> in the middle <laughs> and that's great and then the next day I went with my parents and we went to a different IMAX which is at mm-hmm. uh, Manchester's Trafford Centre and it's not as it's not a proper one that one it's just like a digital IMAX mm-hmm. um well it was still really good you know and then a few days ago I went to just a normal screening at the Trafford Centre again and um but I mean I can luckily in in the UK I've got this card called the Limitless card from Odeon which means I pay £17.99 a month but with that card I can go and see as many movies as I like oh wow Uh, that's amazing that's so cool I mean you can't if you go to IMAX um if it's an Odeon cinema and it's got an IMAX, it'll still I still have to pay for that. Well, it'll only mm-hmm. be a five. It'll only be five pound instead of fifteen pound. Um, oh, that's so good. But to see a normal showing, it's free basically. You can go as many times as you like. That's so, so cool. I just I'm planning to go several times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get the money's worth. On exactly. That card. And you're getting like all these different like viewing experiences because you're do- doing it on all these different like types like IMAX and like then the normal viewing and stuff. That's so cool. Yeah. And I want to go and see it in 35mm now, like next, because mm. they're doing that at another cinema in Manchester that uses my card. So, fingers That's crossed. Awesome. <laughs> so cool. I, did, ours was, how do we tell the difference between the 70mm and just regular IMAX? It was, I think it was just IMAX because it didn't say 70mm because there's, an, uh-huh. a, there's another theater next near me. It's like an indie theater that I want to go, actually, because it says Dunkirk in 70mm, so... Yeah. Did you notice a difference between those, Sasha? Yeah, you you can notice a difference because I mean, first of all, in the proper IMAX that I went to um, in Manchester, it's like a very tall screen and mm-hmm. like the, it's filled by the image. Like you can see from top to bottom the image. So there's a lot that's cut off in in other screenings mm-hmm. that you can't mm-hmm. see from the top and the bottom of the image. Um, but also you can tell it's an old film projector because you can. I mean, it's got that slight graininess. Mm. And that kind of, oh. if there's, do you know when it has them like little black dots that appear ever so yeah. often because yeah. they're on the cell? It's like that, but it feels really old school and mm. really quite cool. That's cool. And the other thing that happens in the, like in the proper IMAX that didn't happen in the other ones is that obviously they've used two different types of cameras. They've used the IMAX cameras and they've used what they call like the 65 milliliter, uh, a millimeter one. And it, you can actually see the image um, get bigger and smaller depending on which camera oh um, that's interesting obviously you can't see that in the digital ones because it's just right. screen isn't as tall and that and it's mm. like it's not it's not the same it's just been like cut to the same if that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah that does now I really want to see it on the 70 I'm gonna have to find where where near me has the 70 millimeter one because I need to bring my family along. I've been waiting for my whole family to be together. Caitlin, I so. think um, there's one at the the aquarium that's like 40 minutes away from us. Yeah. Do you yeah. think that that does the movie? I, I if Yeah, I think so because my friend John went to see it on there and he said like it was oh. the proper way to see it. I'm like, okay, so he knows well, what he's talking about. He's a movie buff, so yeah. You can, yeah, you can see the quality much better because like oh. straight away, especially in, in the IMAX where I was in, uh, before it showed the actual film, it had like just a digital kind of advertising going on. And you can see the pixels, like if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. whereas when the actual film started, it was just really clear and kind of huge. And 
Mm. pretty amazing really it's one of them experiences that obviously you won't get again when you watch it on dvd or oh that's so true, true. i need to i need to find out when these showings are because i want to see it as a big one yeah <laughs> well it, um, it sticks with you because like the, the last film that i remember that really stood out for me that i watched in the imax was the dark knight mm. and obviously that was christopher nolan as yeah. well mm-hmm. so yeah he does it really well he knows what he's doing with them the cameras and everything Were you- were you a Christopher Nolan fan before hearing about Dunkirk or not so much? Not really, no. I mean, I've I seen, obviously, I saw The Dark Knight in the cinema and I mm-hmm. saw I saw Inception when that came out. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything much about his other films. Um, I kind of had to educate myself on, what, mm-hmm. <laughs> on his other stuff. I've seen, like, his first couple of films and I've seen, I went to a screening of Interstellar Um mm because they did it for the Manchester Science Festival. So I went and used my Limitless card and went to see that. Nice. So I know more about him now than I did. And I finally watched The Dark Knight Rises the other day as well. Mm. <laughs> but I've, I think I've only seen yeah. uh, Inception of his, to be honest. Really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't go and watch it. Well, now you have ones. Dunkirk too, so. Yeah, I have two of his. Because I've never seen any of the, the Dark Knight ones. I know Harry said what Memento. Memento, it's so good. I want everyone to That's watch his it. Favorite. Yeah, it's very philosophical. I think you'd like it, Caitlin. Although it is kind of intense, so maybe not. But maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so let's get into the plot of this movie. Um, what I did was I sort of wrote scene by scene what happens as I was in the theater and like took notes on like different questions I had or things that I wanted to talk about. Um, but also when it's sort of the timeline gets a bit messy, um, I kind of grouped things a little bit more by like each timeline rather than maybe the exact sequence that happened in the movie. Um, so let's just sort of, it opens up with them walking around this French town and these papers are falling down from the sky and they pretty much show that the British and French and whoever else was there are completely surrounded. Um, and what did you guys think that, or again, Sasha, you probably know a lot of this type of stuff. Like, is this like a scare tactic to them? And like, were these deposited out of planes, I assume? Yeah, it was just um, German planes that went over and dropped them. And they were, it was written on the original proper leaflets. It, it had it in both English and French because mm. it was aimed at both both sets of soldiers. And mm. yeah, it was just to basically, as, as it's trying to say, is you're better off surrendering because otherwise mm. we're coming for you. You're surrounded. It's to mm. scare them. It, like you say, it's yeah. to, to terrify them and make them think, right, I might as well just give up and, and not fight on because we're done. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I think that, like, sets the tone at the very beginning of how the soldiers are feeling, getting this sort of, um, like, we're defeated already type of mood, I yeah. guess. Um, and then uh, after that, we have the, the different facts on the screen, which gave background to, like, what Dunkirk was. Um, and, of course, like, going into it, I was like, I don't need these facts. I already know this stuff, <laughs> um, which was nice. But, again, for, like, Americans and, like, people outside the U.K. and even people in the U.K., as you said, didn't know too much about Dunkirk. So these facts. I, I, I don't remember exactly the wording, but I thought the wording sounded, like, very British to me, like, the way <laughs> things were written out. Karen, did you notice yeah. that? Yeah, I think I remember that, too. Yeah. It was, it's a bit poetic the way it was written yeah. it wasn't necessarily yeah. like a clear historical kind of 
thing that it was trying to tell us was it it was just right. a very basic they're surrounded um yeah. waiting to have get some help and, mm-hmm. and get home um mm-hmm. but yeah <laughs> yeah i i appreciated that part um so then then we see we're sort of following tommy which is um finn whitehead's character um and right up front i thought this was interesting where he's kara and i discussed this a bit like the grabbing papers to go to the bathroom and like at first you think he's gonna take a piss and (laughs) then you sort of (laughs) throughout it I mean whatever it's like silly but also I thought like it kind of really upfront hits you with like kind of the realities of what war is like um and I thought that was really interesting the decision to to not have him like trying to take a piss you know yeah because it's (laughs) more like yeah Well, like, like we can't way. literally discuss this for like yeah. a long time because it's like it just I don't know kind of like I didn't even like think about that as being a reality that they just kind of have to like go to the bathroom or wherever like it's not like they get actual private bathrooms you know what I mean like it doesn't like that's like not a reality of war that I even like thought of and I thought that was like a really really interesting way to start off the film and kind of like throw you into the reality of these soldier situations that they have no privacy and they have no um they have to like use literally like pamphlets that are trying to be used um to you know threaten them it just it's just interesting <laughs> they become toilet paper yeah the other thing that they you see as well is the extra who picks up the hose pipe and is trying to drink water from it yeah. because i mean the whole first few minutes are basically showing the audience that we like these soldiers had been walking for days they haven't eaten they haven't drunk they mm-hmm. they exhausted they need the toilet <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's just everything um is is basically summed up in that small uh, section of the movie and I, I think even that whole part of like um obviously Tommy running and, and the shooting and everything that's mm-hmm. going on that was just a way of of summarizing a whole like of a battle that's already happened before mm. before they enter the beach. And so where were those soldiers, where would they have been coming from? Well, they, they would have been, um, basically, the Germans had come through kind of um, what they call the Ardennes, or I don't know if, if I've pronounced that right, which is a, sort of a, a forestry area between Germany, Belgium, kind of all of that area in France. And... Mm they basically overpowered the French and the British soldiers until they kind of pushed them into the Dunkirk area. They they got separated into two lots. So some of the British soldiers ended up going to the south of France um, and they were, they were like evacuated a bit later, but most of them were kind of cornered into Dunkirk in, in that they were kind of pushed back and back and back until there was only like a small perimeter of um that was left in their hands, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that's where they're. I, I, so that's what you say. Like that was prefacing, or like not prefacing, like saying that that's where they were coming from that battle. Yeah, and, and, then, they, and literally running through the streets of Dunkirk until they found their way up to the front. And so, I mean, they would have they would have heard as well that the beach was there. Like they would have known that that's where they would have heard whispers or yeah. Um, so then that's when you see the, the Germans, the enemy, start shooting at them. And I found these parts, and I think at the beginning it was most jarring because it's so loud yeah. and very, very startling. Did you guys have that same sort of, like, jump moment? 
Yeah, for sure. And also the fact that it was in, like, they were kind of just, like, I mean, it was already jarring to see soldiers in, like, a, like, a wasteland of a town. I mean, it wasn't, like, a wasteland. It was, like, the town was pretty intact, but it was, like, empty. So, like, even that was jarring. Um, Because I I always forget that's, like, a reality of war, too, that they were, like, in towns. Um, But then, yeah, like, the the, um, sound quality of the movie was just crazy, like, how loud it was. And, I mean, like, gun sounds are always, like, startling, but then, like about especially like kind of like when you're not expecting it is just a lot yeah I think I was kind of expecting it to suddenly yeah. I was waiting for that gunshot mm-hmm. do you know like yeah sometimes it's worse when you're waiting for it but I did see yeah, people around me coming. kind of jump out the seats a little bit because it was yeah. really really loud that was me the entire movie <laughs> just jumping I already am not good with like scary movies so I was jumping a lot in the movie um I thought it was so interesting with this part where Tommy is like scrambling to get over the the fence thing and he goes to like get his gun ready and shoot and he tries to but then he just like drops it and runs um I thought that was sort of showing demonstrating his age as well like obviously these guys are so young um and like the and just like the fear and the not not necessarily knowing things and being alone and kind of confused and he was just like no I'm not gonna try to fight back I'm just gonna get the hell out of here I mean straight away we're shown straight away we're shown that he's inexperienced which is yeah. like yeah. the theme of the whole thing because obviously later on we're seeing that Alex is probably like the more experienced soldier between mm-hmm. the two of them but it's like you say it's, it's his kind of like innocence and kind of um, straight away you feel for him don't you and you just want him mm-hmm. to get away like don't stand yeah. there don't shoot back just go like yeah, yeah. So. Run. <laughs> god I'm getting stressed just thinking and talking about it to be honest <laughs> And we're just at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then we see um, the French holding the enemy, the Germans, back. And um, Tommy runs to try to get behind them. Um, and I think this sets up a couple of different themes that we see throughout. Um, firstly, the the whole idea of them co- calling it the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, what I know some in, in the different um, like promo, they talked about this a bit. But what did you guys think that, like, the effect of not really naming who the enemy was and not really even seeing them throughout the movie except for, like, at the very end a bit, um, how do you think that was effective? Um, I thought it was it was quite a cool idea because the faceless enemy just makes it mm. seem, like, a little more scary that you just don't know when they're going to pop out. You're kind of mm. expecting to see them at some point and you don't know when, like, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And that's exactly how the soldiers were feeling because they couldn't see them. Like they knew that they were there. They knew that there was like planes going over, but they couldn't see the faces as such. So, yeah. um, I, I think that's how we're supposed to feel. And we all know that they were the Germans. You know, you don't need yeah. to have a history lesson to know who it was who was on yeah. the way. Um, but yeah, I just I liked the idea that it, it didn't because I think in an interview. They, they were saying that they, it wasn't really important, like, who the enemy was. It's the situation that's been yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. told. So it's less about the enemy and more about the survival of, and the escape of, of the people who were mm-hmm. caught up in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, too, like, I'm thinking back to All Quiet on the Western Front. Isn't there a scene when 
Um, I, I, I know I was sick part of the day we saw this movie at school, so I think I came in for the second half of it. <laughs> but isn't there a scene where they're in, like, a trench, and the guy actually sees the, like, whoever... Is, is that World War One? I? I think it is. I didn't... I think it is, yeah. yeah. It's still the Germans, though, that they're fighting, right? I'm, I feel like... I, I feel like... I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that one's from the German point of view. I could be oh, wrong. I've not seen... Um, the original movie, but I, they made like a TV version, and I okay. I saw that, and I've actually got it on Blu-ray, but I've not not watched it for like ages. But it's a really oh, good d- film. Yeah, I, I I wish I'd seen the whole thing. I think there's a scene, or in some war movie I've seen, there was a scene where like they end up in the same trench as the person they're fighting, and you sort of see them face to face, and it's very very different than it almost like humanizes both sides in a way Mm -hmm. because you see that they're both people in battle like maybe who didn't choose to be there that are just there fighting Um, which is very very different than the way that they did it in this movie where it's like this is the enemy and it's not about who they are as we said it's about them trying to get off the beach and escape in the situation that they're in and the individuals there it's kind of like this is just one big block enemy that is we don't really we're not putting faces to them they're just you know, someone we're trying to get away from. And yeah. it also makes the, like, makes um, the soldiers feel, or, like, seem more isolated because you don't even mm. see an enemy. It's just, like, it's just them being attacked by some, mm-hmm. like, nameless force, yeah. which is, like, yeah, like Sasha was saying, it's, like, even scarier just because, like, there's no, like, human aspect to it. Mm-hmm. It leaves it up to your imagination, doesn't it? Yeah. Of what them, what them people are were like, who they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, we mm-hmm. we kind of know because we've seen many films before it, but yeah. it's kind of it, it leaves it up to us to kind of think about that and and know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have a note about the the ticking sounds that mm-hmm. are prominent throughout this part. Plus, like it goes all the way through the movies. Even when I was sitting at the credits, there was still that ticking again. Um, and we saw the ticking in the trailers and stuff. And obviously it adds so much like anticipation and you know, things are happening and you know that it's sort of like a ticking time bomb almost like they need to get off or they're going to be picked away at and killed. Um, and I just thought, wanted to know your guys' opinions about that sort of carrying on in and out the movie at different points. Um, I mean, it's really intense and it's really like, cause it like is like a heartbeat too. Um, mm-hmm. And like, um, since it's sort of just um, like consistent through it, you're kind, you kind of forget it's there and it's kind of like the same pace as your heartbeat, but it's like, it's subtle enough that it kind of like worms its way in your brain and it kind of just like makes you anxious without like really noticing it that much, which I feel like is even creepier. Um, but it definitely sets the tone so, so well. Um, I remember watching like the, the prologue or I think that's what they called it. Um, the like t- yeah. the 10 minute like preview prologue. Um, and like the, the ticking was so, startling and just it like stayed with me after watching it and I think that's like almost like I don't know why it was so intense I mean obviously the movie is intense itself but like the ticking just really added so much anxiety to it for me yeah I loved the way that it wasn't as much as you remember the ticking there was moments in between where it just went very silent yeah and very quiet and then, so that's how it kind of, someone compared it to being like Jaws all the way through. And oh, like, yeah. every, you know, when it, something's about to happen, because it, it starts to speed up, like, God. you know. Yeah. 
and yeah my heart was beating I mean I've, I've watched it like I said four times the fourth time my heart was still beating every time that, that <laughs> yeah, music I ask if it gets if it gets yeah. any less startling or like scary like I don't think it could get any less like anxiety like producing yeah. You know exactly what's going to happen, and yet your heart is yeah. still like, "Well, well, it's going to happen." <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah, it's it's really good. It, it works on repeated mm-hmm. viewings. Yeah, I totally agree, and and the whole thing about the silence too. I just the whole the whole score and everything they did with the sound is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also thing, oh sorry yeah was, no go ahead. No, I was going to say ahead. one of the things that has been said as well is that the ticking actually came from Christopher Nolan's personal pocket watch. Oh wow! Really. Like Hans Zimmer literally used it to kind of like he, he used the sound and then he he altered it and he changed it you know for the actual soundtrack but that's where it initially came from. Oh, that's, oh, that's so such cool. a fun fact. Yeah, that yeah. really is. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm good on him using that detail because it really made it work well. Um, so then we have Tommy coming out into the beach for the first time and just the immensity of this scene. The, the hundreds of extras that they had to have had, mm. like, you're seeing the beach for the first time as Tommy sees it, and it's just kind of overwhelming. Um, I mean, I thought that was really effective, that it was just like, all of a sudden, you see this, everyone here is trapped. It's not just Tom, it's not just the guys he was running with who died, it's like an entire beach of hundreds of thousands of men stuck there and I and feel like that's like why oh go ahead sorry I was gonna say again with the sound it's like because he's running isn't he and it's like really loud and then suddenly it goes really quiet as he walks onto the beach yeah and it's like that moment of well like this is bigger than any sound what is going on here yeah um and I feel like that's like a moment where it's like important to see in an IMAX and like I just like don't think that you would get the same effect at all if you were like watching it on like your computer screen or like your a TV screen because it's like you have to be like overwhelmed in that moment with a huge huge screen and just like see so many people and like the scenes where they were like there um there was like the larger boat with like so many soldiers on it I feel like that was another Mm -hmm. scene that was just like so overwhelming to see how many different individual lives were affected um, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like I understand, like, why Christopher Nolan wants people to see it on IMAX so badly, because it really, it's, like, it's an intrinsic part of, like, the experience, I think. Mm-hmm. And why at this point, I don't know if you know the answer to this, Sasha, there was a lot of men standing in the water as if they were, like, lining up there. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, they just, they were waded out into the water because the boats couldn't come in um, far enough oh, okay. to pick because it would get beached if they went too far onto the sand. So the idea was that, obviously, they didn't have the little ships yet, the, you know, the um, all of the vessels that came over. They just had mm-hmm. kind of, I, I guess they were like wooden lifeboats that had come off of mm-hmm. the off of the destroyers, the big ships. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they were waiting for them to come along so they could get on them and mm-hmm. then go out. Okay. But they, that if, makes sense. The ships, like the, none of the boats would be able to come straight into the sand because they'd get mm-hmm. stuck. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I was like, okay, so they're standing in the water. Are they like looking for sharks? <laughs> no, I didn't really think they were looking for sharks. God, if there were sharks in addition to like, I know, that but there be must have been. There must have been like there are sharks in the channel. Oh God, please! Like, you could imagine, especially if people are dying in the blood, oh, like it's attracting sharks. <laughs> 
I don't know if we get sharks in that in that bit of the water. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you're thinking of like probably like the most boring area of the sea would be the bit between us and France. Okay, so the next thing that happens is Tommy comes across, I keep wanting to call them when I was writing this doc. Um, also, like, for any of our Patreon list uh, subscribers, you can go over and look at the doc as you listen to this episode if you want to see it on patreon.com slash talkdirection. Um, but for any of the times I wanted to call them Harry and Finn, and yeah, Tommy yeah. and Alex, it was really <laughs> hard to, to make sure I got their names right. Um, but so Tommy comes across... Um, Gibson, who is, we don't know who he is yet, um, but he is burying a soldier. Um, and I guess, like, with this, I love seeing it a second time around because you could sort of, you know what happens and you know who the characters are and sort of what their sort of plot lines are and their character arcs. Um, but at this point, it seems as though he's just. I mean, I I didn't know that he had just changed into the guys. I thought he'd just taken his shoes because, like, I know in war, if you have, like, I think shoes are, like, a big thing. I just remember from all, like, the talks about people walking and their, their feet getting frozen or, like, yeah blisters and all that type of stuff. So I thought he was just changing shoes. But at this point, Sasha, did you have any idea of who Gibson was or did you understand further of what was happening here? Well, I, I kind of, um, me and my friend, we, we knew that he was going to be, well, we thought he was going to be a German. Now, the reason being, um, basically, I was asking like a couple of journalists and that who had already seen the film, if he had a Welsh, Welsh accent in the film, because he's a Welsh actor. And I was like, as, as an Iron, you know, does he speak with his normal accent? And mm-hmm. they were saying to me, I can't tell you anything about that because it's a spoiler. And I was like, I'm thinking, what's going on? And then in the history book that I mentioned earlier by Joshua Levine, I mean, I've not read it properly, but in the, there's a last chapter in there where it talks about the film. And I didn't realise it was going to have like major spoilers in it. But it said in that that one of the characters had an ill-fitting uniform and that there was a reason for that. Mm. So I was like, right, OK, then. And then, of course, <laughs> so me and my friend were like, he's got to be a German spy. You know, there's got to be mm. something going on here. We were a bit like Harry in the film. You know, <laughs> I was like, yeah. there's something wrong about this guy. And then her friend then went to see it early and um, got to see it at the IMAX when, when the premiere and that was on and told her that he was a frog. Now, she didn't realise that was a spoiler. She didn't get it. She didn't understand what a frog was. So she mm-hmm. told me, oh, she's just said he's a frog as if it was like a joke. Right. And so I then knew straight away that he was French. <laughs> so, oh right. wait, that, does that what? Wait, what does a frog mean? I'm not sure. So it's just it's just a nickname for French people. We oh, call them okay. Oh wow. Okay. I, I think because they eat frogs. <laughs> oh, okay. interesting. I was thinking because it sounds like Franck, which sounds like. Oh, <laughs> well, it's fr- the France, yeah, France yeah. frog. But like, I think right. I don't know if it originates from the fact that we we when we think of French people here, we think of the fact that they eat snails and frogs' legs. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> so like, but so it, that was spoiled. <laughs> yeah, it, it was spoiled because my friend's Polish, so she didn't even click herself that that's what. Right. Yeah. So, so when I went in to watch the film, and I saw him tying up his shoelaces and putting the jacket on, I was like, yeah. I know what's going on. <laughs> but my, my, one of my other friends um, who was with me, she, she didn't have a clue. So she said that she didn't realise at all when, when he was doing that. It, it just completely went over her head. So 
which is exactly what it's supposed to do and like you say yeah. it's one of them for repeat viewings where when you go back you notice that actually what's happened here is he's taken the clothes off of that body and he's mm-hmm. putting, it on, putting them on so yeah is that because the british are like being evacuated in the front french don't have like aren't there isn't the possibility of them being evacuated or why would he want to, to be in a british yeah. uniform you can see because like when when they've got the stretcher uh, mm-hmm. gibson and tommy and they're running towards the mole there's the french soldiers are at the bottom of the mole and the english soldier is saying to them you can't go past right. a, this is a british ship Okay. Mm-hmm. You've got your own you ship. Have your own ships. Yeah. yeah, you you stay there. Don't go past. And right. I mean, eventually they did obviously help out. I mean, there's a conversation a little bit later between Kenneth and uh, sorry, Commander Bolton and and that uh, Colonel Winnant, and he's sort of saying to him, "Oh no, it was, I don't know. Sorry, it went between them. It was between that other guy that gets off and speaks to him. He gets off like another ship, and they're, they're talking, and he sort of says." officially the line is that we're helping the french mm. and like churchill has said has said officially that we we are evacuating the french however we need our own men right so oh wow they were okay. making, they were they were like purposely holding back the french to make sure they got as many british men off of that beach oh. as possible because as he said like we need our soldiers if if we lose them here germans are coming for us next mm-hmm. so right. They've already taken France. We need to save our own country. Right. So, mm. so Gibson knows that's going on. Mm. So he has decided that the only way he's going to get off that beach, because he doesn't, I mean, bear in mind, they don't know how long the Germans are going to be before they turn up. Right. He's thinking, I need to do something about this. Mm. So he, mm-hmm. he's straight away found a dead body, took the clothes off, put, you know, dressed up as a British soldier and is trying his chances of getting off the beach. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, Finn doesn't know that. He thinks he's just burying his dead friend, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. So so then what happens next? The This is like when I awkwardly read my notes. <laughs> I also try to talk at the same time and it doesn't go well. Um, so I have music. Oh, this is when. So they're, they're walking out and the music goes really quiet on the beach. And you just kind of know something's going to happen. Um, and then you hear the planes overhead and the bombs start dropping. And this was done really in, in such a like eerie way where the, the, the bombs were getting closer and closer Ugh. to where Finn was. And you know that next bomb is going to hit him. Um, yeah. And then, But instead of the bomb, it's the sand that comes down on him. Um, I thought that was so visual. Mm. Just that, yeah. the way that was set up. Um, and the sound of the planes overhead too. And and right during filming, they I know in in the promo they said they didn't even have to pretend to hear the planes. Like there were actual Spitfires going on over their heads. Oh wow! Yeah, an actual and it was the Stuka that makes that sound. But it, the German planes, they always say that it was a psychological thing that when the soldiers would hear that sound, you wouldn't know where it was oh necessarily. So you. You, it doesn't matter where they were on the beach, they would have thought that plane was coming for them. Oh, wow. So it was the psychological thing more than anything with the sound wow. on the play. Yeah, and it was really, it was really loud, and I yeah. just wasn't expecting that. Um, 
and then uh, at the end of that, when it's that part's over too, you get to see all the men stand back up from being down, but not all the men stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought, that yeah, was I loved really... how Brit- British that is as well, because they all got up and then got back into their queues. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you notice that they do that like they all scattered yeah. out and then went straight back into the queue that they were already in and probably <laughs> like behind the man that was stood in front of them before <laughs> yeah I was really impressed with that I feel like oh shoot my, sorry my alarm went off I was really impressed that they were just like standing in in a line just like pretty quietly I just feel like if this if it was American soldiers there would just be no order I don't know <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah was, <laughs> that was an interesting I remember years so ago, sorry, this is like really random. I remember years ago that I, I learned that um, apparently one of the suggestions is that more British people died on the Titanic than Americans because the British were too polite. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I spent too much time I could like, believe that. politely queuing and everything. I mean, we shouldn't laugh because it was real, but like they apparently they were so polite that like the Americans wow. were just like, no, we're going. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? No. Oh yeah. The, 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 I was going to call them cues because you did, um, like the, the groupings that they were in, yeah. um, on the beach, it seemed like Tommy went and stood with one and then he got kicked out. Cause was that like an ordering of when they were allowed to leave by? And he says to him that the group that he went to, um, they were a certain type, a certain regiment and he, he wasn't a part of that regiment. It was a bit like the whole band of brothers thing. So, you know, obviously later on, Alex groups up with the Highlanders again because that his, is his regiment. Um, mm. it, they kind of they're sticking with their own, if that makes okay. sense. So they, yeah, he was yeah, like, yeah. "This isn't your cue. You know, you need to go." Right. You need to find your group. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too, and I think we talked about it a bit with like the the British and the French kind of having their own people, and I think that's like sort of a theme throughout finding your own group and that's who you're with and like even if you're on the same side it's not your own like little group of people that you're banded with and who you care about um like even though the French and British are together it was like if you're not British you're not getting on we don't care if we're on the same side it's all about like survival and like who you're with Um, and I think we see that a lot throughout the movie yeah no definitely um so then the next part um, oh, I, the one line, was this the first line in the movie, or no, not maybe not the first line, but I guess one of the big loud lines, when he goes, where's the bloody Air Force? Um, yeah. I thought this was, like, I guess because they don't have, there's not a lot of dialogue throughout, and so, like, the dialogue we have to look at very, like, with great detail because it was purposely chosen. Um, and I think this, to me, really represented kind of the confusion and anger and, like, not knowing what's happening or what's going on um and just like the soldiers being really unclear as to what their future was on the beach did you guys get sort of something else out of that or see that same type of message yeah i mean the 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 line um is supposed to represent the fact that the soldiers on the beach they didn't actually see much of the raf the royal air force Mm -hmm. so a lot of the spitfires i mean although in the film they seem to be quite visible to them. Um, a lot of the fighting that was going on between the planes was in, more inland or mm. more out at, or more out at sea. And therefore, a lot of the men on the beach, and even now if you spoke to the veterans, um, 
were like they didn't help us out you know we, mm. we didn't see them helping us we just saw the german planes coming down and, and killing us mm-hmm. we didn't where were the, the air force you know there's there's still that kind of stigma with that of they thought that they weren't helping but they were mm. and so that line actually represents like a major part of what was going on and you can hear like going back like very far forward to the very end of the film when um that guy turns to to Jack, I don't know if it's the same man actually. <laughs> it might be. I don't know. Turns to um to Jack Lowden's uh, character Collins, and mm-hmm. says, "Where were you, mate?" Mm. Because he's saying the same thing. Like he right. didn't, he didn't see the work that was going into that because it was out at sea, and he right. and that's why you know um Mark Rylance's character Mr. Dawson then turns to him and says, "They know where you were." Mm. You know, like so that very first line is it goes it's funny it's like you say it's like one of the first lines in the movie and then it also becomes one of the last lines oh wow in the film as well <laughs> that's so interesting that like the 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 research that chris would have chris as if he's like his friend. <laughs> my, bud, chris. <laughs> my bud chris christopher nolan i'm just gonna like harry always is like chris yeah. <laughs> christopher nolan like put in and, and wanted to include that theme where something like that could be brushed over so much but like having that those two times that that's discussed uh-huh. I think really adds to just like the entire understanding of Dunkirk and shows how much like he put into it and wanted to make sure to get those details to make it historically accurate and also it goes to show about like how good Nolan is about like using such minimal dialogue to like get so much across you know yeah it shows that every line in there it might sound like a throwaway line but it's actually really important yeah oh good i'm glad because i wrote a lot of the quotes down i'm ready for all your your all your background information yeah. on these things <laughs> um, <laughs> could never know that without like all that historical stuff of dunkirk um so then that we have the first time it pops up with the sort of timeline thing Um, Now, going in, we kind of knew the timeline was going to be, like, wonky because they talked about that in promo, but I didn't really know exactly how it was going to be, and seeing it a second time definitely helped. Because I think even if you know what the timeline's happening, it's still a little bit confusing to figure out because you haven't seen what's going to happen. Um, So we have the mole one week, the sea one day, and the air one hour. Um, how did, did you guys like this structure? Did you find it confusing? Do you think it reflected sort of like the confusion that the men were feeling? Um, cause it seemed to go back and forth a lot. And I think for me, at least I saw that the men went back and forth, forth a lot. I know when Karen and I were talking about this, we saw them going out to see it and getting put back to the beach and then like thinking that they were going to get on the boats, but then having to jump off. And it was sort of like this big kind of um back and forth and not knowing and that type of thing which I think is reflected in the timeline but I guess I wanted to know if you guys felt the same way um I think it worked really well just to like show all the different moving parts that's that was going on um I think it I think I do need to see it again to like sort of like completely understand it but also I think that it kind of worked that I didn't 100% know what exactly was going on because I mean that's like probably how the soldiers felt like they had no idea what was going on for most of it um but I thought it worked well because um I mean there was just so much going on so like to try to get like even three parts of it was I think good 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think as well, like if if he hadn't have done it in that way, it would either have been an inaccurate kind of account of the way it was because it would have looked like the planes were out there for, for like days mm. <laughs> or it would have been quite a weird structure in that like obviously if he was doing it in real time then the whole of the first part of the film would have all been about the soldiers and it would right. have, you know what I mean like there would have been no way of doing it because the only other thing that you would have seen would have been like the little ships did go to and fro like sometimes to back to England about mm. seven times wow. um, and you don't want to be watching a film where the same little ships going back right. and forth back and forth for the same seven days that the soldiers are on the beach so it's mm-hmm. it's like it, it worked really well for me I mean I didn't get that confused and this is coming from someone who's a massive like I get confused at things all the time I got, <laughs> I got confused at most of Christopher Nolan's films so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I don't know if it's because I knew like I knew more about it because I, mm-hmm. I run the account and everything but I just think it, it's pretty clear what's going on and but then the one thing that I mean I'm skipping ahead a bit again here but with the structure my friends have actually just only told me a couple of days ago that they didn't click on that Killian Murphy was the same guy who was on. Oh, really? So they were oh, really, wow. con- they got, co- they were confused. They were like, why is, why does that guy look quite similar to him? They didn't realize <laughs> it was the same man. And so that explains so much to me because they got confused. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, for some people it has been a bit, weird but I didn't think I thought he did it really well I thought it flowed really well and it, it doesn't take too long for you to kind of understand that sometimes you're seeing something that you've already seen before mm-hmm. from yeah. a different angle yeah mm-hmm. and true. the way the way that at the end it all collides and becomes yeah. one story is I just found it really cool mm. yeah definitely I I, th- I thought it was really really good and I think like even though like, and then when I saw it the second time, it made so much more sense. Even though, like, I knew, like, it was even, like, more clear. Yeah. You could pick up on things that you hadn't known were happening. Like, sometimes if the planes would be flying over, because a lot of times they were a lot more in the future, um, like, see things on the water that, you know, happen later on in the other storylines. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, then, talking about the planes... So we have Tom Hardy and Jack Loden, who are pretty much the two guys in the planes. The first plane, like, leaves them quite early, right? It goes, they started with three, but it goes down, right? Yeah, that's right. So and the, then we have, sorry, so I, go ahead. I was going to say, in the other voice is Michael Caine. Oh, so Michael oh, Caine. Yeah. oh, right. He, yeah, so we don't see him, though, in it ever, right? It's just no, no. That's okay, right, so you then, don't see him. So he goes, he, their plane goes down, and then um, Tom Hardy, or what was his character's name? Collins? No, Tom Hardy's Farrier. Oh, Farrier, and then Jack Loden's Collins? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so then the Farrier takes on sort of the leading role, right? Like, he, he becomes the now the guy who's, like, directing the two yeah. planes, or, like, taking on, like, the... I mean, I'm going to throw out words like captain in general. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what is what. In in this document, I called, like, anyone who was on the mole, the guys who looked like the official guys on the mole, they were all, like, generals and captains to me. And I was like, I really don't know what I'm saying. But, um, so anyway, so then they, they're the ones that are in the planes. And I know I, I read this in um, some, 
I don't know if you tweeted this or I saw this somewhere about like the eye acting that had to go on between these these two guys because like a lot of the times their faces were covered and the only thing you could see with their eyes uh, were their eyes. So I thought that was um, pretty yeah. funny. A lot's been a lot a lot's been said about Tom Hardy because this is the third time that he's in a film he's had his face covered for most of Oh, yeah. Because he played what? Bane in The Dark Knight Rises and his face is oh. covered for that. And then he's he was in Mad Max uh, Fury Road and in that his face was covered. So he oh has become God. the master of acting <laughs> oh with his God. eyes. <laughs> That's great. I and thought he, they did yeah. such a good job with like the little facial features that you could see though. <laughs> it's a shame as well because they're pretty guys as well. So it's like... That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I know because at the ending I was like, oh my God, that's his face. Like I didn't, <laughs> we like barely saw him at all. Um, but I thought, I heard, so about the planes, do you know anything more? I, I read an article, I don't know which, where it was from, talking about how like, the the German planes at that point hadn't had like the orange tips on the front and like that was just something that was in the movie but it wasn't historically accurate do you know anything about that or like were the planes pretty accurate and like were they using ones that were either from that time period or like based on that modeled after that yeah I mean I don't know I don't think any of the planes that they were using on this film were originals but they were like recreations that are, right. are actually officially in use at like air shows and stuff but um but yeah I, I don't think I've not heard anything about it being inaccurate and I'd be surprised because they had a lot of historical advisors for the film mm. so for for that to have gone past unnoticed would have been mm-hmm. very bizarre because the amount of accuracy and kind of like attention to detail that has gone into this you know it, it doesn't sound right to me that it would be wrong mm. but okay. but who knows I mean there's always a historical inaccuracy in something so right, right. can't get yeah, it right. I thought it was kind of weird unless it was like purposely done so that like the viewer could identify the German planes better that's the only reason I was thinking that but yeah. I don't really know I forget forget where I saw it um, <laughs> and and in terms of like I think I put this later but we can talk about it now um, like the filming of the planes, we know that they strapped the big IMAX cameras to the side of the planes yeah. to like get those wing shots, which you see like throughout it a lot. Um, but in terms of like them actually filming like Tom Hardy and Jack Loden in the planes flying, how did that work? Did you do you hear anything about how that went down? I could be wrong here, but I think they, they got another plane that was quite similar to the Spitfire. Mm-hmm. And they, it, but it had two um, seats in it rather than the one. Okay, I saw a mm. picture of that. Yeah, so they, they painted it up and everything, made it look like a Spitfire. And then they had the actor in the front seat and they had the pilot in the back seat, which is, I mean, I'd be terrified because, like, oh how, this guy, how did so they see? Scared. How could they see where they were? But anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, so Jack and, and Tom did go um, for short periods of time, at least, in... in in the actual flights wow. and which is like blimey they must be as brave as anything because I could not literally. do that literally that um, would be so scary I mean for some of it they filmed it on an, like literally on a cliff edge in, in Los Angeles um, so they were just on the ground but but for um, for the scenes where they say you know like if you ever see a plane that's passing next to them mm-hmm. 
in the background. It, it actually happened because they wow. that's they filmed it. So it's pretty amazing the, the practical effects and that of mm. this film, rather than green screen and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just unbelievable, really. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. I don't know how they got the guts to do that. I would be very scared. Yeah. But I suppose if if there was any fear on them or in their faces, it would be realistic because... Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Worked out well. Um, okay, so then let's go back to Tommy and Gibson. So they find this wounded soldier um, that was being taken to the boat to go back to England, um, but the people that were carrying him died in the bombing. Um, and you see that most of the men being carried to the boat are, are carried by, like, the stretchers are carried by four different guys, but now we only have Thompson, Thompson, Tommy and Gibson um, carrying this one. And I know Finn talked about how tiring that was, like, (laughs) running around carrying, I can't, that must have been really tough to run. Yeah. Especially he was the one going, like, holding it backwards or whatever. I just... And That's Finn is like kind of tiny. Like he's a yeah. he's a little guy. Yeah. <laughs> he said he did quite a bit of training, didn't he, to try and bulk up a bit, but he's, he's yeah. still really skinny. And oh, honey. He said. Uh, I loved all the Harry Finn interactions throughout all the the promo seasons. Yeah. They seem like good friends. I just love that. Like Harry just knows how to annoy Finn without <laughs> yeah. actually, without actually making him hate him. You know, like yeah. It's like he's poking him constantly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so beautiful. Reminds me of One Direction interviews. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought this part was so good. The music, I don't know if you guys noticed, there's like some really choppy, fast strings going on at this point, um, which, again, we see later on where it's just like, like I, I don't know how to make sound of strings, but it's like, da, 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 you know, like really fast, and you're seeing them run along this beach. Um, and I thought like the sea foam there, the men on the mm, mole, yeah. like all the hundreds of men on the mole and getting to see all their helmets and the heads moving, I thought looked so cool. Um, and I, I guess like why the name the mole? Do you, do you know why it's called the mole? The mole is like the actual like dock thing, right? Yeah, it's just called the East Mole because there was another one further down, um, which I think, I don't know if it was destroyed or something, but like I would I think I would usually just call it a pier like over in England yeah. would just call it a pier but okay. it's something to do with the way that it's it was what it was being used for it's just officially that kind of I mean you'd call it a jetty as well wouldn't you like a but yeah for some reason it's just a name a mole <laughs> I don't know it's a bit of a weird I've word heard that. yeah I, I've only heard pier before uh or yeah. like a dock but I guess it's not really a dock um, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Because I was like, before I went in, I was like, is the mole the whole beach? Like, is it like, you know, because in, in different wars, they have like code names for things. I was confused yeah. about it. But no, then as it went on. I, I think it was like officially just called the East Mole, obviously in French. Okay. But like, um, right. on, you know, before the war even happened. But it wasn't supposed to be used in the way that they used it. So it wasn't for, for um, ships to dock next to at all. It was just some kind of to do with, I think, to stop the flow of the water and everything. I don't know. Oh. Um, but, but interestingly, like the original mole, um, actually they lost it in a storm, like something in the 80s or something. Oh, no. So, so the mole that they have in the film has been completely recreated. And wow. Yeah, it's quite incredible. But they had to take it down at the end because it wasn't like a permanent fixture that they added mm-hmm. on. But it, it was really cool to see that they'd completely recreated it. And if you look at the old photographs, they've done it like 
really well. well. Yeah. Um, And then that makes you think of, like, all the people that go into the movie, the people who are, like, in charge of, like, the historical stuff, the architecture, the, all that type of stuff. I just, like, when I was sitting and watching the credits the second time around, just seeing all the people that have a hand in the movie, I think it it almost gets lost because you hear about, like, the actors and maybe the director, maybe the director, you know, in, in different movies, not in this one, obviously, but... To, to remember that there's so many people that are a part of these projects. Um, yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so and then this is when I, I noted the sort of competition on the mole that we mentioned earlier from the French and the British. And just in general, like, you know, when they're bringing the stretcher down and someone's like, oh, I'll take that from here because they want to be the one that got, got on the ship or that's what I supposed it was. Um, I think it just, like, really showed the desperation to get home and almost, like, the I don't really... I'm, like, looking out for myself and maybe the the guy next to me that I might know a little bit better. But it's, like, all this kind of, like... It's maybe not the same thing that we often see in war movies where it's, like, let's band together and fight whatever. It's mm, very much, yeah. like, I want to survive. And, like, that's maybe not a theme that we see so much in mm. war movies. Well, I saw a critic who, who was complaining, basically, and I, I I thought, what a weird thing to complain about was her basic complaint was that it wasn't a band of brothers approach. It was an every man for himself. <laughs> and right. But that's that's right. But, like, that right, is not yeah. a problem. That is a brilliant way to show it because mm-hmm. I, I do think that in that circumstance, people would become selfish and would yes. become, like, they just yeah. want to get home. They've got families to get home to, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and they're all the. What was the average age of the the boys there? Because like the actors all looked so young, and I know that was really representative, right? They were all quite yeah. young young boys. I think it there was like a various ages depending on their ranks, but obviously a lot of the young privates. This was the very start of the war as well, so they would have been able to kind of go into it from the age of eighteen. Um, my neighbour, who I said was there, he turned twenty while he was there. He had his birthday. Wow on the beach which can you imagine of all the places to have your birthday so um so yeah he was 19 when when he's when it started and 20 when he left but um yeah is is they would have been some of them would have been older and i think um harry has said that his character is supposed to be a little bit more older it's supposed to be like his age mm-hmm. so um which would make sense because he does seem a little bit older than tommy doesn't he anyway mm-hmm. and more experienced as we said like he's he's probably yeah. been involved in more than Tommy had um but yeah they were like basically a lot of them were very young mm-hmm. and they got local local people at the schools right local boys to come like be extras as well yeah yeah they it was I think there was over a thousand extras that they hired oh in Hamid. and wow. We've seen some of them, like I've interacted with some of them on Twitter and stuff. And oh, the wow. guy, do you know the guy in, in the trailer? You know, the guy at the front of the mole who, mm-hmm. who looks up? Like, he's just an extra and he's found himself on the front of Time magazine. And That's everything. amazing. He, he's like, he cannot believe what is going on in his life. That's he's, he's got about 200 followers on Twitter, you know. He's, not, <laughs> he's just a random guy. And suddenly oh, his, face, funny. his face has become the picture of this film. Rather wow. than Tom now Hardy. I need to go or, watch that back. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Just feel like how amazing that must feel for him. He was probably only paid like a, a couple hundred pounds or something, or not even that. Wow. For like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hope he actually gets something out of this. You yeah, know, yeah. His career out of this because he he's yeah. become the star of the show. 
in a way. Yep. So can certainly add it to his resume. Yeah, did you know I was on the cover of, uh, you know. Literal Time Magazine. Like, Time that's something magazine. you're going to be able to show, like, your grandkids and be like, hey, guys, look at what happened to me. I know. It's amazing. That's insane. Um, so, you know a lot about the uniforms. We talked about this a bit earlier, um, about how, like, representative they were and, like, true to historical fact, but you were trying to figure out the uniforms, like, way beforehand, right? When you saw, like, the, like, the paparazzi photos from set. Like, how, how did you go about that? Well, basically, um, obviously we had so little to go on at the time of of what they were Mm -hmm. called or anything like that, but there was this guy who I was talking to, he was, um, he was, like, a, a former BBC journalist and everything. He, he was like a veteran, veteran himself of Afghanistan, I think, or or something like that. And he he was like a, a big Dunkirk history buff, if you like. And mm-hmm. the, one of the first things that he noticed was when Harry's first, you know, the first photos of Harry came out in his uniform. His uniform didn't look like the uniform that they usually wear, in mm-hmm. it, it, because it was different. And straight away he said it looked Scottish. And mm-hmm. from then on, we, like it wasn't a very known uniform that they were wearing mm-hmm. but we it took a while and he found um that it was a world war Two uniform in fact we even like i even ended up contacting the scottish um scottish military history group <laughs> and everything wow. then like as far as we was, we was just trying to confirm that this was the right mm-hmm. uniform for a scottish soldier and it, and yeah it turned out that it was a scottish regiment and then it wasn't until um when they were filming in in weymouth um, sorry, not in Weymouth, in Swanage, in Dorset, in, in the UK, that um, there was a close-up of his uniform, and you could see on it that it said A and S um, Highlanders. So it, it basically confirmed that his character was an Argyll and Sutherland Highlander, which is a regiment in Scotland. Um, so then, so he would be a Scottish soldier then, but or or did the did some like I guess. It's a Scot- it's, yeah, it's a Scottish regiment, but they had people from other parts of the UK who would join them. They would make they would be mainly Scottish, and you'll notice that a lot of the extras um, who were with him in in the boat were Scottish. Um, okay. But like, there was ones from a lot from Northern England and that as well, which is obviously mm-hmm. where Harry's um, from anyway, and where his character's mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you'll you'll see that like, in fact, the only other character I think who isn't Scottish, uh, one of the lads in there he's from Manchester as well so he had a proper Manc uh, accent so yeah they they were like I don't know the, the fully how the regiments worked but they were accepting people from places that weren't you know the way that they were allocated they weren't necessarily from the area that they were representing mm-hmm. okay and so then what was Finn then well like Tommy well this is the thing like Tommy's I mean, it, it works quite well because he's called Tommy and he's just supposed to be like a basic yeah. um, representation of any British soldier. There was no identifying feature on, on his uniform okay. that, that would tell us which regiment he came from. Oh, wow. That's um, so interesting. So he he literally is just a, a basic, I don't know, you know, you make it up. Like an everyman. Character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, But the other things that you did, were able to notice was things like when Killian Murphy was on set you could see that his uniform was more advanced than mm. say Finn's so you could tell that he was a more higher up soldier um, mm-hmm. I think I think it worked out he was something like a second lieutenant or something like that um, 
and you could see in the film then that he was actually more important because he was he was in charge, wasn't he, of the soldiers? Yeah. At, um, so you could notice these little details like a oh, well over a year ago before the film came out, and wow. it, just finding out them little bits was quite interesting because it was like mm-hmm. we we're already learning a little bit about who these people are. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And- even now, too, like, hearing that when I go back and, like, rewatch, I'm gonna, like, look, listen for those Scottish accents, because I guess I didn't pick up on it too much that, like, the group that Harry ends up joining in the boat are from his regiment. I didn't really know that. Yeah. So that's they, cool. They do keep referring to them as the Highlanders. I mean, right. even Kenneth, um, Kenneth's Commander Bolton sort of says, um, I mean, we're, we're getting up to that point, but um, he sort of says, Highlanders, I'll get you another boat, you know. They, they are constantly referred to as the Highlanders and, and there is a specific actor who is, I think he's called Brian, Brian Vernal, um, and he is very Scottish. And some of the things that he says as well, he's got a few um, lines as well. He's, he comes out very Scottish. <laughs> so you'll, you'll, you'll notice it when, when you watch. Okay, definitely going to pay attention to that. Um, okay, so then we come up to, this is, they do these paralleled scenes really well. I think this has also worked um, well with the timeline that a lot of times, like, the urgency that was happening in one place mimicked an urgency, like, like stressor thing going on in, in another place. And you here we have Tommy and Gibson loading the wounder soldier on, um, and it's coupled with, Mark Rylance's character, Mr. Dawson, leaving England and trying to get to Dunkirk. Um, and while they're on two different, like, timelines, the music that's going with them fits both of them at the time because they're lined up in a very, like, specified way. Um, yeah. And kind of Mr. Dawson doesn't want the Navy taking over his ship because he feels like he's the captain of it. So, like, what happens? So they would give, um, like, they were just going to be using the civilian ships and have like the Navy come on and, and be like in charge of them. But then he, yeah. Mr. Dawson decided that he wanted to be in charge of it. Yeah. I mean, that is the way it was. Cause they, they were like requisitioned. It was like, literally we own these ships now. We need them for our soldiers. Mm. So they, so they did yeah, put some, I mean, some of them would be a mix. So some would have some civilian, some Navy people on board. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them did go just as civilians. I mean, you've, you've heard all sorts. There's apparently a guy, he went across um, on a canoe boat because like, oh he, he had one space behind him. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. It's like, I mean, we don't know if that's true, but it's kind of like a, it could be a myth, but mm. apparently soldiers say they saw this guy with his canoe. There's um, <laughs> so all kind of like, yeah, it was it was like if you were available, you could take your own boat, but they would prefer to put like the, the Navy um, men on there. Mm. And I think, like, finding out later as we as we go on, um, it was fun going back and watching Mr. Dawson's character and his character arc and, like, why he made the decisions he made. And I think when you find out that his son was in the war and ended up dying yes. in the war, mm-hmm. um, uh, sort of, like, the motivation behind him wanting to drive the ship over and keep going and a couple of things he does, like, throughout um, is, like, made more, it makes more sense and you're like, I see where his motivation is coming from. Yeah, I mean, it's little details as well, because, like, when when the film was being made, um, the, you see that there's a blue flag that's that's up on the end of the ship with the... Um, it's, like, blue, but with, like, a square of the British flag on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know this until people were telling me, but it, it's supposedly only supposed to be flown by uh, retired Navy people. And therefore, oh. therefore um, 
he his character could have been a previous um, Navy soldier him or whatever. That makes sense. But yeah. it's, it's like um, it's the guy who he's a lot of people think he was playing, which is this guy called Charles Lightroller. I think that's his called that's his name. Um, he was actually an officer on the Titanic, and oh. I thought it was quite a cool idea that he this guy who he was playing could have been like this man because this this guy was like survived a titanic and then went out on his bullship to go and save loads of people oh my god like, wow. years later um but it made me laugh the real guy because apparently like he somehow the soldiers on his little ship found out that he was a titanic officer and they couldn't mm-hmm. they couldn't decide if it was a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> 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 I, thought, I kind of wish that they kind of incorporated that in Dunkirk because it would have been quite a funny funny. scene can you imagine their faces Harry would have had a problem with that I think yeah yeah (laughs) Harry's character would have been like no 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 (laughs) but this this guy this this child guy he he had um his son and a a sea scout with him and it's very similar to the situation in the film where he has son Peter and apparently the guy the real guy also did have a son who was in the air force so it it's very it's been taken definitely a slightly from this um, little ship called the Sundowner and, and its captain. So wow. it's quite cool to see the connections between the two. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm so glad you're here to tell us all this I stuff. know, I'm learning so much. I love it. I know. We would have just been like, wow, ships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear. Um, okay, so then we go, we go back onto the mole and it's been bombed and... They have to run over this one plank and things like this where you're thinking like, well, was that so important? Maybe it wasn't that they had this like little dramatic scene where they had to run over the plank. But like as I'm watching it, you see the reaction of all the men around them when they make it across. And it's like this small little victory, like amongst this Mm. entire sort of thing that they're dreading and nothing good is happening. And it's in those moments you almost see that sort of like, we're bonding together, we're in this together, when for so much of the movie it is kind of the all one man for themselves. So I love when we had these like little pockets of we just succeeded and just because they ran over this one plank, it's something so good because there's nothing good right now. Yeah, and there's also um, in the old Dunkirk film, I don't know if you saw like the original one that was made in, in 1958, um, there's a scene in that where they're going across the plank as well. And oh. so... But it, it was something that happened, and it, I think I don't know if it was Joshua Levine's um, book, The Forgotten Voices of Dunkirk, or the um, another one I read called um, Disaster to Deliverance. Um, the, in one of those books, there was a veteran who was talking about these planks of wood that were being put across because of the mm-hmm. spaces. So it, it is very accurate, but it was also quite cool because if if I could get the shot now of like the what had happened, I think I've posted it before on my Twitter. The, the clip of the old film where they're going across the plank is quite cool to see it like recreated in the new film mm. <laughs> so that's like a nod to the old film wow. too, then, right? possibly possibly even though I think that... Nolan has sort of said that he didn't watch that to, to kind of take from it at all mm-hmm. but it, it was a bit of like a hark back if you if you have watched the old one so mm. oh that's cool Again, something we never would have known. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We should definitely watch that movie. Did you find it was a good one, the old one? I mean, it's definitely 
when you watch it, you can tell it's an old film, you know. Mm, right, and yeah. also the difference between the old Dunkirk film and the new one is that the old one spends a lot of time before they get to the beach. Mm-hmm. So it's all about them hiding away in like a, a little townhouse and, and stuff like that before they reach and, and people getting killed on the way to the beach. So it's only like the second half of the film that's actually on the beach. And obviously okay. they didn't have the effects and whatever that they have now but it they did like really well it's 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 um it's, i think it was black and white but it's you know there's a scene of a ship sinking and it looks probably just as good as any ship sinking in this film it's, it's, oh, wow. so nice. it's quite cool what they did um definitely gonna have to watch that mm. um okay so then we go back to the dock in england and George, the sort of, I guess he's like a, a hand, like a help, helper person who works on the dock or on the boat with Mr. Dawson, right? He's kind of like, helps out. Um, yeah. Uh, he gets on the boat and Mr. Dawson's like, you know, we're going into wards, George. And George is like, I'll be useful, sir. Um, <laughs> and I, I guess just like, I, I, sort of what I've been struggling with his character is... Like, was he useful? Is he supposed to represent kind of, like, the um, unnecessary death in war? Like, what his what his character represents? And, like, right at the beginning you have, again, the dialogue, which doesn't happen a lot, where he says, I'll be useful, sir. Um, so, like, knowing that he ends up dying uh, in the end. And dying in a way that doesn't seem like it, could sh- like it didn't have to happen type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um what do you guys, I mean, we can keep discussing it as we, we see his character play out, but just, like, what are your thoughts right now? Yeah, um, I mean, he he's very representative of, like, there were young boys who were on them ships that went over because um, there were, like, there are stories of the young men that were on them, and I think it, it is that kind of, it, it's supposed to be just sad. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing more to it of the fact that he was even younger than, the soldiers that were on that beach and he mm-hmm. ended up you know something happened to him and that that kind of line where he's like I'll be useful sir and like, straight away like to me because I kind of assumed that something was going to happen to him it made me straight away I was like it's one of them doomed lines do you know mm-hmm. what I mean there's, yeah. there's so much when you watch it when you know what's going to happen it's like oh no George don't go back go back <laughs> you know like yeah, yeah. Don't get on the ship. And also, he has such, like, a baby face. You just want to protect him. And also, I feel like he... I could be wrong, but wasn't he wearing, like, sort of a colorful vest? I feel like he kind of had the most colorful attire in the entire um, movie, if I'm remembering correctly. Which kind of just, like, gives him another, like, layer of innocence. And it just, like, kind of... I don't know, his death really felt like a loss of innocence. I mean, obviously, it's war, and that's happening everywhere. Um, but especially for this this boy who wasn't a soldier and he he just wanted to do something useful which is just like Mm -hmm. so it's so sad it's just like it doesn't matter if he was useful or not he's he's still a person you know what I mean yeah Um, he's still just like such a young kid yeah exactly he was played so well by Barry really you you would not know that he he's like he's actually my age I think he's 24 so it's like he he played him so young and vulnerable and this is a guy who like in other films apparently in his new film he's going to be playing like some kind of psychopath (laughs) you know yeah he's he's, you can tell that barry is like a really diverse you know he's he's excellent in that role he just became george Mm -hmm. yeah in the in the small amount of like 
words and footage that he has. He he really was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did such. A, I mean, the casting of this was incredible. I felt like like literally every character, every actor took on their character so well, and getting to see like. Again, I keep saying, seeing it a second time through, you get to see, like, them playing their characters right from the beginning, before you even know who their characters are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then we go back to the air, and I guess we, we already kind of talked about this. Yeah. Um, with with the, what, what happened with the flying and stuff. So let's move on to the, the mole again. We have Tommy and Gibson... They have to, they, they deposit the, the injured um, soldier onto the boat, but they, they're forced to get off. Um, and again, we see that sort of tension of, like, man, every man for themselves type of thing. Um, but they decide to sneak down onto the side of the mole, hoping to, like, hop on the next ship, I guess. Um, yeah. and, in, and in this moment, they get to overhear, now I've called them sergeants. <laughs> <laughs> it's Commander, uh, Kenneth is Commander Bolton, and um, James is um, Colonel Winnant. Okay, so Colonel and Commander. Um, we get it, this is like, we get to overhear sort of, they're almost sometimes the voice of the historical facts going on, or like the voice of yeah. what's happening. Yeah, when, yeah. None of the soldiers ever know, but these people are the ones that are informed and know, um, and they become sort of a speaker to the audience a bit of what's happening. Yeah. Um, and we find out that the perimeter is shrinking. Um, I, I, the, I like the conversation of, like, how many wounded soldiers are we going to be putting on because one wounded soldier takes up, like, seven, like, non-wounded soldiers' spaces. Yeah. Um, this is where we hear the pick them off like fish in a barrel line, which was um, big throughout all the trailers. Um, and the theme of seeing home. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is it? Kenneth says you can practically see it from here, home. Um, and I think that sets up the whole, the goal is going home and you're so close, but at the same time, you're so far away. Because um, the distance between the very end of England and the very point of France is is tiny, you know. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's I think someone said, is it like twenty five miles wow. between between? So that's when when they say like you can practically see it. I mean, you can mm-hmm. practically see it. I've mm-hmm. I've done the ferry over that like several times, and it it doesn't take long before you can see one end to the other. So, wow. yeah, it's it's pretty like crazy how close and yet how far they were mm-hmm. and and then this is where also we hear the we get to hear back from like what Churchill's um saying and he was saying that they're only going to bring back about 30,000 men and then I think they said someone else was hoping to get 45,000 um yeah. even though there were 400,000 men on the beach um so what was why why did they think they could only bring back 30,000 men or why was that the goal for Churchill well, they just, they didn't know how long they had, I mean, they, the Germans seem to be very, very close, um, mm-hmm. because one of the things that they mentioned, obviously, later on is that the German tanks stopped, um, mm-hmm. and it's one of the most debated parts of the war, is why did Hitler order the army to stop approaching, mm-hmm. um, because if they had, if they had continued, they would have been on that beach within, like, 24 or 48 hours, they would have completely you know they could have taken a very large part of the British soldiers either made them surrender or could have killed them all and it's like Mm -hmm. that could have been it such a defining moment of the war because if that decision wasn't 
made that could have been the end of it because the mm. British wouldn't have had anything much to fight with because mm-hmm. all the soldiers would have been gone, you know. Um, so right. this is why they, they were so, their, their estimates were so tiny because they were like, and also they hadn't ordered the civilian ships yet. They hadn't come mm-hmm. up with that idea. And they were struggling to get men off of the beaches because, like I said, the big ships couldn't come in. Mm-hmm. So they had to, like, find ways of getting them out and they were using the mole to do that. So, because that was, the mole was, like, one of the only places where a big ship could go up against. And, oh, okay. Um, mm. So, yeah, they, basically it was because they thought they had less time than they had and mm-hmm. because they had less, like, ships and everything to, to use to get the men back. So then, yeah, so that, that I think that's, uh, especially for people who don't know the story and don't know the civilian ships coming, like, that moment of hearing only 30,000 men are going to be off this beach, and we know how many there are, I think was very, like, this seems like a doomed... Yeah, this... a lot of people are going to die here, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it just, like, and, and having Finn and, or um, Tommy and... Gibson overhear that I mean I guess Gibson couldn't understand it but Tommy probably could um yeah (laughs) hearing that is again really scary yeah because like you think about it now and like we just think that that's like a fact like that everyone Mm -hmm. knew but like I'm sure that like most if not all the soldiers unless they overheard someone saying that wouldn't know that which is just like Mm -hmm. I don't even know I yeah I reckon they probably would have assumed it, though, because mm. with everything going on around them, it, they must have felt, like, pretty hopeless. Yeah, they must have been thinking, true. if I don't get on a ship soon, then this is it. Yeah, that's true. But then, like, not having that confirmation, it just, like, kind of, like, just the not knowing everything. It's yeah. just horrifying. Okay, so that is me coming back again here to say that that was the end of our first half of the movie. We ended up taking a pee break and recording the second half, which is another two hours. So again, that second half is going to be up in a couple days on the next episode. Um, But we wanted to end this episode and also like welcome new listeners because I'm sure we got new listeners from Sasha. Um, So welcome you guys. Um, We want to hear everything about this. Again, the whole movie gets talked about on the next episode and we have an official ending with Sasha. And like, that's when, you know, we have our whole ending and thanking and talking about everything. Um, But just now, if you guys have any feedback on this first half and what you guys thought of the movie and everything we've discussed so far, please let us know. Um, I'm sure some of you guys have so much cool information about the movie and have seen different things we haven't picked up on so far so make sure to send that in give us all your feedback because we love learning new things um you can go and follow us on twitter at talk underscore direction and you can tweet us there about your thoughts you can email us at talkdirection at gmail.com you can go to our tumblr which is talkdirection.tumblr.com or our instagram which is just talkdirection and you can also follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Caitlin I.R. Foster. And Caitlin is spelled C-A-I-T-L-I-N. And Kara, where can they find you? I'm Kara underscore pond and Kara's with a C. So thank you so much for listening to episode 105 of Talk Direction. Um, of course, <laughs> or no, this wasn't, this was uh, 106, right? Yeah, this was 106. Mm-hmm. And this is the first half of 106. But I guess the next episode will be 107. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be messed up in the next one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we also wanted to remind you guys that we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash talkdirection. 
um, where we do a ton of bonus content. So after every single episode, we have a half hour of extra episode that you get to listen to if you're a Patreon supporter. And for this episode, we're talking about the boys' logos and um, all that good stuff. And like their, what do we call them? Their little logos and their fonts and just sort of the yeah images they're putting out. Um, and yeah, we talked about that. Last time we talked about the Louie interview with Dan Wooten and our thoughts on that. So we do different things over there. We also have tons of videos as well. Um, and also we wanted to remind you that if you go to audibletrial.com slash talkdirection, you can get your first free audiobook. Um, uh, I've recommended Cuckoo's Calling, which is the J.K. Rowling book. Um, what else do we have? Wind in the Willow is really good. Mm -hmm. The Mindy Kaling novels over there. And, like, she actually reads them herself, so it's awesome to hear from the person. Um, so that is really nice um, that you can get your first free audiobook there, audibletrial.com slash talkdirection. And you can subscribe on iTunes to get the episodes as soon as they come out every week. Um, and we're also on SoundCloud if that is easier for you to listen. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Kara. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Sasha, who is on the next continued part of the episode, which is coming in a couple days. Again, we just sort of stopped halfway through to break this four and a half hour giant episode up. Um, but the real ending to the full four and a half hours is coming out soon, and you'll get to hear this. We've recorded this little bit um, afterwards. But we will see you next time for the second half. Um, for episode 107, where we carry on talking about Dunkirk with the lovely Sasha. Bye! Bye!